What up, y'all? I'm Dan. And I'm Alice. And welcome to this episode of our Creation Story Anthology, where we look into the Incan beliefs. As per usual, I'm putting my fun disclaimer in here. I'm not an expert, and while I do my best to find accurate sources, I acknowledge Google is not infallible, and I certainly could not do a dissertation with primary sources. And we are doing our best to be respectful about telling the story, both for the descendants of these people and for the fact that they were real people who did believe in this and they deserve to have their memory respected as well. But if we, or honestly me, <laughs> I make a mistake, please do be lenient, but make sure to let us know and we will do our best to correct it. Now, let's look into who the Incan people were for a bit of context. These were native South Americans. They had an empire that spanned across the Pacific coast and the Andean highlands by the border of what's now Ecuador all the way to central Chile. You've likely heard of Machu Picchu, which was an Incan city, and it was another place with like irrigation systems, similar to how the Aztecs had their irrigation systems. So, Fair enough. Very interesting, you know. Machu Picchu is also a pretty good example of how the Incans sort of revered high altitudes and set many of their cities and religious centers at the top of mountains. Which I'm realizing actually kind of makes sense because often it's considered to be closer to gods with the heavens, yeah. such as like Mount Olympus. Yeah. They also lived in a very mountainous area, so you want to have places. And generally the higher ground is going to be a, a more defensible position. I have the higher ground, Anakin. Sure. Proof that this one does not know Star Wars. Yeah, well, I'm not going to stop with that. In the 12th century, they established their capital city. But they began conquests and expansion really in the 15th century, so like the 1400s. You, I think the mid-1400s, generally. They heavily expanded over the next 100 years, taking over all the Andean people. And they honestly likely would have lasted longer if not for Spanish imperialists coming in at about 1532 with their disease and genocide and stuff. But, but of course it was Spanish imperialists. What else would it be? Yeah, I mean, if it's in South America, chances are it's probably Spain. I love that. Yeah. Much of their history and culture is harder to be certain on since they largely did not leave written records, instead passing their traditions and stories on orally. The later history is generally better recorded due to the invasion of the Spanish and the records that the Spaniards took from the people and sent back to Spain. In addition, there are still people with Incan ancestry who have passed down the stories. Together, along with some fragments of leftover civilization that they can find, these have helped researchers put together some general information with some specifics, but there's definitely some amount of uncertainty. I will be presenting one of the stories I found today. So, as usual, I will now helpfully annoy you with the terms you can probably already recite in your sleep. At least it will be helpful for new viewers who haven't heard this 16 times before. I wish I were you. Tragic. It's almost as though you chose this life. You with the wall. Yeah, well. <laughs> the first is separation. The second is succession, usually of power. Then there's ascent of man over woman. And then there's dragon slaying. And now, we finally turn towards the story. Ah, the dramatic reenactment time. Woohoo. <laughs> Before the New World, there was one deity named Viracocha. 
Now, the full name is longer and I don't plan to try to pronounce it because I know that I will get it wrong and I'm already probably mispronouncing Vita Kosha. Most of the sources I managed to find just say Vita Kosha, so I am going to follow suit because yeehaw. This god's full name means creator of all things, which is pretty apt, I think. Um, most gods. Yeah. And, like, especially monotheistic uh, religions. Yeah. Also, as a side note, the source I looked at called Vita Kosha by he, him pronouns. However, I did find a separate source containing a prayer to this god, which says in the translated version at the very least, whether you are male, whether you are female. So, while I will likely end up using masculine pronouns when retelling this story, please do note that this god was not really given a gender as far as I can tell. I mean, there's also always the potential of, uh, say, the Spanish automatically masculinizing gender-neutral pronouns due to the influence of Christianity and, you know, more male-centered religions, so... Yeah, and just, like, generally, because everything needs to be gendered and things are generally automatically masculine, I think. Exactly. It's a pretty easy assumption to make, but who knows, with the records spanning back hundreds of years... Yeah. After that long aside, back to the story. So Viracocha emerged from Lake Titicaca, another story that begins with some sort of watery chaos. You know, as I Everything is soup. Yeah, primordial soup. He created a world, though said world was dark because there were no stars or sun or moon or anything like that. Then Viracocha made sculptures of giants in his likeness. It specifically says that he not only sculpted them, but also painted them, which I just thought was cool because it just meant that it's not just like, oh, I sculpted it and came to life and came to color. It's like also A lot of effort was put into this. Yeah. I just thought he was neat. It's a very creative god. Yeah. I like that. Imagine being that artistic. Hey. (laughs) So he brought to life giants. My sources conflict on whether the living giants were the sculptures brought to life or separate creations that were based off of the sculptures, but there are now giants on this Stark world. These giants were ordered not to quarrel and to obey Viracocha, but they did not. (laughs) So they were destroyed in some way. There are several different ways that were described like being turned back into stone, swallowed by earth, drowned in a flood. Dang. Yeah. They really messed up. These aren't even, like, from different sources. It's just like, yeah, so some of them were swallowed by the earth. Some of them. This sounds like an impending apocalypse. Yeah. Bit of a genocide. Hey. Side note, once again, this is a story where there's a flood destroying a huge number of people, like a huge population just completely for not obeying their god. Literally what I was just about to comment on. <laughs> Your thoughts are mine now. Ha ha ha. I like to consider it that we share a brain cell. Yeah, well. It just bounces back and forth. Mm-hmm. All the giants are gone, having perished in one way or another. Now the world is barren again. Great. Yeah. Before doing anything else, Viracocha went to a place whose name is translated as Island of the Sun. I would try to pronounce it, but I was looking at it and I was like, ain't gonna happen, guys. Sorry. So You can find it in our sources. Yeah. This island was in Lake Titicaca, the lake that you may remember as the one that Viracocha came from. On this island, he 
found sun, moon, and stars, and ordered them to go up into the heavens and stay in quote-unquote fixed locations. The moon was actually originally brighter than the sun, but that made the sun jealous, so the sun ended up throwing ashes at moon when they were rising to the sky, and this is why the moon looks the way it does. That's actually really cool for explaining the different brightnesses and appearances of the sun and moon, and just on a personal note, I have to say I'm really here for this jealousy arc compared to the usual siblings or lovers that we see. Yeah, I think it's pretty neat. I like... I think it's I like a, this variety. Yeah, it's a pretty metal like creation of moon and sun. Yeah. It's like we got the rabbit one last time. We got this one. I'm Very neat. It. So, after having the world lit up, Viracocha created another set of sentient life forms, and these were humans. Hey. So they were made more perfect than the giants and with the same stature as Viracocha. Suddenly, I'm really starting to question how bad the giants were considering humans, but, you know. Well. But, like, also, it's just, like, so wild to me that Vita Gosha was like, yeah, and I will now uh, create giants who are, like, much bigger than me. So you're not one of the gods that can, like, change form, basically. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it said, like, the giants were larger than Vita Gosha. So that that's means... That's a really cool note. Yeah. These people were made from stones on the lake shoreline. I think they were called pliable stones, more specifically. Relatively similar to how we've seen some other earth or clay or some sort of, you know. It is also close to water, which we've seen a lot of water-born creations with mud. This is true. There were actually different groups made, each with their own fashion, language, costumes, and I think it's very interesting that their mythos actually explicitly includes different cultures because it kind of like says like, oh yeah, these different sets of people are different because our god made them that way. That is actually a really cool note. If only all religions could preach this equality. Yeah. I don't know how much they like believed in that equality, but I know that it's certainly part of their mythos, so... Fair enough. So, after this, we skip some time into the future. Viracocha went undercover as a sort of beggar and traveled through cities. The people in one of the places was rather hostile, essentially. One of my sources said that they threw rocks at him, something that was purportedly often done to foreigners. Great job, guys. Yes, I think it was described as uh, like he was stoned, basically, and I was like, hmm. Stone him. Interesting. <laughs> the other said that they gathered weapons and planned to kill him. A little bit different, but, you know, kind of similar sentiment. Death and severe injury either way. Yeah, it's kind of similar to how the Greek gods sometimes went undercover, and then if you didn't show them hospitality, then you'd be completely murked immediately. So what did this god do? This god was angered, uh, and as Sarmiento de Gamboya says, fire from above came down upon those on the hill and covered all the place, burning up the earth and stones like straw. Which is a super metal description, bro. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I believe that there was probably a volcano relatively nearby to the city, and it ended up erupting, causing many people to perish. And this was believed to have been because of the people of said city somehow angering their god and being punished for it. 
you know, given the track record of other mythology, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the case. If you saw fire raining from the sky and you did not know what it came from, what would you think? I would be like, wow, I guess, um, God is trying to smite me. Even if you did know what a volcano is, if you didn't know what caused the volcano, you'd still probably think that you angered the god in some way. This is true. So, you know, probably something like that. Then the people saw their error and begged for forgiveness. I think I call this being afraid for your life. Yeah. Yeah. This moved Viracocha and he stopped the reign of fire with a wave of his cane. Kinda this is neat. a really metal god. Absolutely incredible, Lee Stan. So, continued his trek, providing miracles and such for cities and advice before he had gone through all of the cities, I believe. And then he said goodbye and went west on the Pacific Ocean, either in a boat made with his cloak or just by walking on water. He disappeared over the horizon forever. I have to say, this is a really cool way for a god to make their exit, like, going with the theme of this god being metal. Yeah. I mean, you just, you go around, you make sure that your creations are still vibing, doing what they should be doing, not stoning people, and then you just sail into the oblivion, or just walk on water into the oblivion. I know, it's just like, imagine just like, seeing someone just walking confidently over the ocean into the distance. That is so cool. Alright, so that's the end. Who would have guessed? <laughs> yeah. Fun story. Yeah. Alright, let's look into the four elements. So there's separation. Obviously, there's separation not only in the sort of deities from Viracocha to the sun, moon, and stars, but also in the people because they had explicitly specified within the story that there were different sets of people with different cultures, languages, all of that. And I find that very neat. And there's also, I guess, separation between us and the giants who were the first peoples created or whatever. Then there's succession. Sort of a succession in that the first race, the giants, and then after them, then the humans were made as more perfect beings, so to speak. So more so in the creations than the creator. Yeah. Fair enough. Then there's a scent of male over female. There's not really that much mention of genders, to be honest. As I said earlier, there was some contention between my sources. So, if Viracocha was in fact treated as a male deity in the Incan culture, then there would simply be something to be said about males being considered superior. Whereas, if Viracocha was ungendered, then neither male nor female would be considered to be above the other, in this story at least. So, I would say as far as male over female goes, the jury's still out on this one. Yeah. I would lean towards the ungendered one because of the prayer I read, but I would need another source, obviously, to be certain. Then there's also dragon slaying. This exists kind of with a stretch in regards to the city that was destroyed with rain and fire. They treated their god horribly and were thus something of evil, and then they saw their error and went back to good or whatever. Saw their error, I say in quotes. <laughs> oh yeah, well. They didn't want to die. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't either. It's an understandable motive. 
Yeah, but so that's sort of defeated. You could also say that the genocide of the first people, the giants, who presumably quarreled and or didn't obey Virkosha, was something at least sort of like dragon slaying. I mean, personally, I'd say that this story doesn't have really dragon slaying in the same brand as some of our other creation stories do. Mm-hmm. I suppose the giants could count, uh, though they don't seem to be as innate or pervasive of an evil as, like, say, Apophis from one of our previous episodes, or at least with the information that we have. Mm -hmm. As for, like, the people, I would say, since Viracosha did spare the survivors, you couldn't necessarily call it slang. I mean, people did die, but I would consider it perhaps more dragon taming, since they uh, hopefully learned their lesson, probably pleaded for uh, the sake of their lives, but they likely learned, you know, let's not stone random foreigners again. Yeah, what if that's a good idea? But what if they're actually the god in disguise? Maybe I should not do that. It's a good lesson to tell your kids. Don't stone other children, or you just might get, like, fire rained upon and the volcano will explode in your area. Yeah. It's a great way to instill fear in children. I mean, that's like what a lot of mythology was. Precisely. Yeah. You know. Lessons, fables. Yeah. Things to learn from. That is the last creation story for this season. Huzzah! Yeah. There's still going to be one more episode of the anthology in this season where we discuss what we've learned thus far, and it's probably going to be, like, a long episode. Like a It may be multiple parts. Honestly, yeah. We'll cross that bridge when we record it. Yeah. <laughs> However, this is not the end of the overall series. Next season, we will be coming back and starting creation stories from Africa. I can't wait. Yeah, I already got made some of them, so I'm ready. Oh, yeah. yeah. So thanks for listening, folks. And we'll catch you in the next episode.